Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Um, I want to go ahead and just read our text, start off by reading our text this morning, which is going to be 1 John verses 1 through 7. And as you're turning to 1 John 1 through 7, uh, I, I just want to, first of all, just say thank you. It's so great to be in the presence of all of you smart people, these seminary students and other guests from around the community who I'm sure are also equally smart. But um, I, seminary is something that is uh, sort of one of those dreams of mine that I just need to figure out when I can, you know, squeeze in all those classes. So you all just tell me how you've done it and how you figured it out, and then I can take some tips from you. But it really is an honor. It's really a blessing. And I think it's really cool that so many of you in this room have taken this very specific, focused, purposeful time, and you've set it aside to learn about the history of our faith and to learn about the Word of God ultimately so that you can draw closer to Jesus Christ, the Father and the Holy Spirit, and make disciples. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an amazing opportunity. So I commend you this morning, and I'm excited to be in your presence. And also, I'm so thankful for those of you who have just come and crashed the party this morning. We are thrilled, and uh, we'll look so forward to meeting you afterwards. Here's First John. Here's the text from today, uh, verses 1 through 7. For those of you know that John wrote this at the very end of his life, uh, probably somewhere in between 80, 80, and 95 uh, he most likely was writing to the churches that were scattered at Ephesus. And what I think is so profound is that when he wrote these letters, he was the last living disciple um, as far as one of the original 12. Everyone had martyr, been martyred or passed away, and John was the very last one. And so you can feel and sense his unbelievable zeal and passion to make sure that the gospel remained pure, um, that, that, it was, it, it, that the truth uh, was, was untouched, and, and it's just, it's an absolutely uh, beautiful and zealous work. And so we're just going to look at the first seven verses this morning, and this is what it says, First John, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I love that John begins his text by saying that which was from the beginning. 
because he's giving context to the time. We know that right at, at, during that time, he was dealing with a lot of secessionists who were leaving the church. He was dealing with Judaizers. He was dealing with um, docetism, that, that belief that, that it wasn't really Jesus' body that was resurrected. Uh, he was dealing with pre-versions of Gnosticism. And, and so John is saying, you have to understand, remember, I, I saw him, I touched him, I heard him, and, and I'm proclaiming you this message that was from the beginning. And there are all these new ideas and new um, infiltrations of belief systems that are coming into the church, but he says, I want to remind you of that which was from the very beginning. Because there's something to the timelessness of the gospel and the timelessness of, of and, and especially where we stand now, 2,000 years after the resurrection, this, 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 this uh, faith that is steeped in rich history and tradition. So he says, that which was from the beginning, and this reminded me of a, a time in my life, this was a number of years ago, and I, I'll talk a little bit more about it in a few minutes, but I was going through a very difficult time in my life. I had uh, profound anxiety, I was somewhat depressed, uh, I was uh, just uh, kind of obsessed about everything. I was, I was going through a difficult time uh, in, with my career, which was uh, music at the time. I was struggling in relationships. It was just a hard time all the way around. And it was to the point where I finally, I sat down with this very godly, wise counselor, and I praise God for Christian counseling. I don't know if anybody can give an amen to that, but I love some Christian counseling and have, and have spent some really good money that could be going toward like a new kitchen right now on Christian counseling. And so I sat down with this very godly man though, and, and after I kind of told him everything that was going on, he said, Kelly, I think what we need to do is we need to go back to the beginning. And I said, well, awesome. Let me tell you how it started. So when I was born, um, I was born into this pastor's home, and there was a little bit of legalism, but there was a lot of really good stuff. And then, and then I went into this, this particular school really early on, and I, there was this really mean teacher, and she scared me, and I think that's some of where my fear started from. And then, you know, and I kept going and going and going and going, and finally he was just very gently, very quietly reaching for his Bible and flipping to the book of Genesis as I was talking about the very beginning. And finally, I realized that he really wasn't talking about my beginning, but he was talking about the beginning. And he said, when we, let's go back to the beginning, he wanted to take me back to Adam and Eve and creation, and he wanted to get essentially my theology grounded and where my problems fit in this story. And I thought, well, wait, I thought that the beginning was was, was my beginning. I, it didn't really occur to me at the moment that there was actually just stuff that happened before me and all of my problems, you know, how that is. So John is saying, listen, not your beginning, not all the stuff that you walked in with today, but he said that which was from the beginning, and more than likely he's talking about the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. And John says, you know, I've, I've seen him, I've touched him, I have heard him and we just celebrated Easter and we celebrated the resurrection and I think wouldn't it have been amazing to be able to stand like John and say, I, I heard his voice. I, I leaned up against his breast. Um, I, I saw what he looked like. I mean, we ate meals together. I experienced him. What's interesting though is after John says all of that, which is from the beginning, he says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And John 
proclaims something very significant here because did you notice that John does not come in and try to come up against all of these different ideas and religions with a theological system? He doesn't say, I proclaim to you a certain theological system. He doesn't say, I proclaim to you a certain theology or denomination. He's not proclaiming a career path or a political party or a celebrity. John is not proclaiming wealth, power, influence, position, sex, or fame. Um, He's not even proclaiming organic produce, local coffee shops, almond milk, coconut oil, free-range chickens. He's not proclaiming any of that as as the way or the answer or the solution. He says, I'm proclaiming the word of life. And I think it's easy, uh, those of us who study and study the word and are in ministry, full-time students or full-time ministry, whatever it may be, that sometimes we can miss the word of life for the religion, for the denomination, for the study. And John says, I'm not proclaiming any one thing. I'm proclaiming a person. I'm proclaiming the word of life. And then he goes on to give a very interesting reason for why he proclaims this word of life. And this was very surprising to me. He says in verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. So when I was studying First John, I, I was ready because, you know, I grew up Sunday school pastor's kid. Like, I was ready for him to say, we're proclaiming to you the word of life, what we've seen and heard, so that you can have forgiveness of sins, so that you can have eternal life when you die, so that you can have heaven and not hell, so that you can be a really good Christian, so that you can put on the virtues. All of those things may be true, are true, but John says, I proclaim to you the word of life. And he gives the most fascinating reason. So that you may have fellowship with us. So that you do not have to be alone. And I don't know how you feel about that this morning, but being alone is probably one of, um, or being left alone or being abandoned, if you could boil down all of my fears throughout my life, and if you could just boil them all down into one lone fear, it would probably be the fear of being left alone, that people would leave me or that God would leave me or abandon me in some way. And John is saying the very essence of the gospel, the very essence of the word of life, the very essence of why I am proclaiming this to you is so that you don't have to be alone, so that you are welcomed into the fellowship of the believers. And that's incredible. That's an incredible gift for us this morning as we think about the opportunity to be in relationship with God and with others. And then John goes on to say, and and, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, that we actually have the opportunity to forever unbroken fellowship because of Jesus Christ with the Father and with his Son. And this is incredible. This is incredible news that we don't have to be alone, and that's one of the reasons why John proclaims this. Um, And then he says in verse 4, and he says, we write this to make our joy, some of the texts will say, your joy complete. 
But we get the idea this morning that one of the reasons why John is proclaiming the word of life and as a result that fellowship is so that we can have joy. And this is a really big word at the top of the letter because we get the impression that this is one of the main reasons why John is writing, so that we can have joy in this life. And, 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 and I, I don't know about you, but some, I'm that person that has to fight for joy. I am that glass half empty person if there ever was one. I am, I, I, like, I just skew melancholy. You know, it's like if you're trying to sort of just keep the, the tip of the boat straight, mine just always kind of bends this way. I'm always having to kind of fight to keep it up. It's just part of it, I think, is my nature. I have a dear friend who is just happy all the time. And I just do even understand people like that. You know, like, they're just happy all the time. They just have, and I just always think, can you just give me a shot of your DNA? Can we just extract some of your happy, is it serotonin? Can I just get some of that? Just put it into my veins, you know? And, um, but, but this joy, though, is, is we know it's different. It's different than just happiness. It really is a deep abiding joy, and I'm so grateful for those opportunities that I experience it. But there was a time in my life where I had very little joy. And I want to share just a little bit of a personal testimony with you this morning uh, as we talk about the word of life being central. Because one of the, as I'm studying this, one of the reasons why um, we find ourselves without joy sometimes is because the word of life has ceased being central in our life. You know, John says, I'm proclaiming to you the word of life. Why? So you can know him, so you can have fellowship with him, so that you can have joy. And if we don't have joy, then the word of life in some way has ceased to be central in our life. And I was, uh, I was in my 20s at the time. I had moved from the Washington, D.C. area. Um, yay, East Coast, here we are. And I had moved from the Washington, D.C. area to Nashville, Tennessee uh, to sign a record deal. And, and I'd actually signed the deal. I was sure that I could, uh, was sort of going to outwit um, the, the, the system and that I was not going to move. I was not going to be one of those people that was going to leave D.C. and leave my family and my friends and my community and my church and move to Nashville to wait tables to hope to get a, a record deal. I was actually going to get one before I moved, and that's what I did. And then I got to Nashville, and I just didn't, ha wasn't prepared and didn't think about what would happen if, if I lost that record deal after I had moved to Nashville, which is exactly what happened to me. So I moved and I was so excited because I thought, oh, the Lord is just, he's just laid this all out and I'm gonna be a Christian singer, songwriter because we, you know, we all have dreams in this room and I was so excited because it seemed like this had worked out so well for me. And so I signed with a large label in Nashville and within four months of moving to town and signing, um, my record company was bought out by a small little company called AOL Time Warner. And when they, bought out the record company, they dropped all of their new artists except for one, and I happened to not be that one. And so there I was in, in Nashville, and it didn't seem like so huge of a deal all these years later, um, especially um, talking about life or death situation even this morning. But it was a big disappointment for me because I had set out with these dreams, and this is what I wanted to do with all of my heart. But what had happened was the word of life, Jesus, had not, um, had ceased being central, if you will, and a music career, even a Christian music career, 
had become the center. It had become, in many ways, a false god or an idol. And, and, and my joy was uh, quenched. Um, I I'd had no joy when that happened. It wasn't just that it was disappointing or discouraging. It was devastating for me because I had exalted that music career up as a god, as a false god. That, the music career was central. If I were proclaiming a message, I maybe wasn't proclaiming that word of life like, like John was. I was proclaiming that you had to be significant. You had to have some sort of a successful career path. You had to, for me, be a successful recording artist. Otherwise, there, you would be alone and you would not have joy. And John is saying, no, 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 no. The word of life is what gives you fellowship, what, what keeps you in the body and keeps you in community and what gives you joy. And so I had had that before I had moved to Nashville, I'd actually lost a uh, basketball scholarship. And when I lost that, it was again the same thing. It was just absolutely, it wasn't just discouraging, it was devastating because I had put a career in sports as my central theme. That's what I thought I needed for life and happiness. I don't know if you're like me in this area, but I also had exalted people as false gods in my life. And as a result, I could not find joy. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, husbands, boyfriends, friends, bosses, um, they can make wonderful husbands, boyfriends, friends, and bosses, but they do not make great saviors. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews um, can be incredible blessings, but they don't make good saviors. They are not the word of life. And so this whole idea of idolatry is what, um, uh, well, I should say it was really the, the journey of not having any joy that led me to my issue with idolatry, modern day idolatry. And I remember I was out, uh, here I was, I was out running one day. That was back when I was young and I could run. Uh, but I was out running one day and I remember just saying, Lord, I'm so miserable. I'm doing the Bible studies. I'm studying. I'm a pastor's kid. You know, my parents raised me. I know the right answers. I'm filling in all the blanks. Um, I, I'm going to the Bethmore Bible studies, who, who I love. And I'm sitting on the front row of, of church why don't I have any joy? Why don't I have what John is talking about in 1 John? And the Lord spoke so clearly to my heart. And he said, no other gods before me. And I thought, Lord, no, it's so much more complicated than that. Like, I need medicine. I need, I need a psychologist. I need a psychiatrist. Like, don't you understand? Like, this is complex. This is not just as simple as an Old Testament phrase. And after really delving in, I realized that it was not gonna be an easy road, but it was a simple, it was a simple reason that I had allowed all of these many words of life, not, not true, false gods, to creep into my life, whether it was a career path, whether it was people, whether it was financial stability, um, whether it was notoriety, significance, um, I had let all of that determine where I found my life and where I found my joy. And the problem is, is that none of those things offer life, offer joy. And, 
And it was, a, it was a several year journey where the Lord began to strip so many of those false gods away. And I, I will just throw this out to you. I think that we sometimes have this misconception that a false god is just something that is in and of itself evil or sinful. So we can, we can walk right into seminary, we can walk right into a church, and we can say, well, I'm not, I'm not over drinking. I don't have a drug addiction. I don't have a pornography addiction. I have never had any affairs. I've not had an abortion. I'm not divorced. I, 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 don't, have any, you know, I, don't, I don't have any bad, really, really bad habits. And we can walk right in kind of with our Sunday school best, and we can be looking to a false word of life in perfectly good things that have become bad things because they have become ultimate things. Maybe you've heard um, Pastor Tim Keller talk about that. Good things that become bad things because they become ultimate things. And, and, and so the Lord began to show me those things in my life that I had not really, I had not really looked to the word of life. And even though I knew Jesus as my savior and even though I had had some deep int- intimacy with him, there were still those areas where he was being crowded out. And I think that's what means so much to me about 1 John is when he comes, he's not just giving us Christianese. He's not just throwing out this kind of hyperbole. You can hear John saying, he's real. I've seen him. I've touched him. We've spoken. I've heard him. I've been in his presence. And and I want to tell you about the word of life. Because aren't we all looking for life in a million different things sometimes? We wake up, and if we just don't get our coffee just the right way, it's just gonna be a bad day, right? Sometimes the word of life is like a, a cup of life. You know, or if our dinner plans got canceled, or if the babysitter didn't show up, or if someone got sick, or maybe financially things didn't work out the way that we thought or a relationship or whatever and 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 it and suddenly we don't know where our life is because we're looking for life in all of these other places and all of these other things and John goes no I'm proclaiming to you a person and so it was a journey it was a journey for me uh to walk through and still a journey I I to 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 stand up here and say that I am idle free and that I always look to only the word of life, I would say, no, I'm not, I'm not there. But that's my heart, that's my passion. And just to kind of finish out the story, just so you know a little bit more about me, I, I had that record deal, lost it, I got another record deal, lost that record deal, signed with a booking agent, he got thrown in jail, signed with another uh, uh, record label that was overseas, they forgot to release it in the United States, so I'm really big in England. And uh, just kind of, kind of perpetuated from there, and finally all of this, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but all of this dumped me into the Amazon jungle of all places because the president of the record company that I had signed with, um, this wonderful uh, company that has published songs like In Christ Alone and Here I Am to Worship and Blessed Be Your Name and, you know, I thought, oh good, well finally, you know, my songs are gonna be heard and the Lord's like, "Mm, maybe, maybe not. It's not really the point. He said, but he connected me to the Amazon because the president of that label was involved in a ministry there and then finally I realized I'm coming up on my 10th trip down the Amazon in a hammock, and it just occurred to me that maybe that all those record deals weren't really about me. <laughs> it's kind of surprising. 
Um, but, but was about uh, so many things, but one of the things that has brought me such great joy is being able to minister to the forgotten people in the Amazon. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful that the Lord takes us on these journeys and that when we make him the word of life and when he gets to have say in our life and he gets to rule and he gets to reign, uh, what a joy that is and how um, life opens up for us. And we get on these journeys and these adventures that we could have never thought, that we would have never imagined. And I wanna speak in particular to those of you this morning that are stunning, that you are, you are here and you're studying and you have dreams to use this knowledge and this experience in ministry. And, and, you, and you've, you've got these visions of, of where God's gonna take you and what he's gonna do and what church you're gonna be ministering at and where you're gonna live and, 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 and how many people are gonna come to Christ and how many people are gonna disciple and what countries you're gonna visit and, and all of this is great and I would say dream and pray and it's wonderful. But never substitute the dream, never substitute the plan for the word of life himself. That as you are seeking, that you never ever ever lose sight of the word of life, that he is a person. And it's not just a ministry path, it's not just a, a career plan, but it's Jesus. And that is where the joy comes from. Paul also says, excuse me, I said Paul, what I mean is John, but we've heard a lot of messages from Paul in our life, have we not? I did the very same thing last night. I think I've been overpalled. I think somebody needed to start saying, and John said um, a little bit more in my life. I, I, got, I love Paul, but I got a lot of him. Um, John says that if we claim to have fellowship with him, this is verse six, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Um, that was, again, a surprise verse to me because when I was reading it, I thought, well, wait a minute. If we're walking in the light, just go linear with me. If we're walking in the light where God is in the light, we have fellowship with, I want it to say God, because if we're in the light where God is, we would have fellowship with God, right? And I, that's true, but that's not what John says. He says, if we walk in the light where God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And that's, that's mysterious to me. That's interesting to me. It's not what I thought he was gonna say. And I think what John is saying is that, that a lot of that joy, that fellowship comes from being in the presence of the word of life. And when we have a proper and right relationship vertically, suddenly our horizontal relationships, they, they clear up, barriers are removed, and we have fellowship with one another. And that was another reason why I was lacking in joy for those years, because you know what, I was harboring some stuff in the darkness. And we think that if we harbor some stuff in the darkness that it's not gonna have any effect on our relationships. We think, well, if I'm just having a problem with God, or if I've just got this little thing going on, well, surely it won't affect my kids. Surely it won't affect my ministry. Surely it won't affect my relationships. 
But the reality is, is that any kind of darkness that we are walking in, um, it breaks our fellowship not only with God the Father, but it breaks our fellowship with one another. And then again, what happens? Lack of joy. Loss of joy. And so I want to encourage you too this morning, only because this has been some of my history. You can study and you can show up and you can be diligent and you can do all the right things. But if there are those areas where you're not walking in the light, um, it's going to hinder your relationship with the word of life and it's going to hinder your fellowship with one another. I have been amazed, amazed that when I have been obedient and when I have walked in the light, how suddenly relationships that didn't seem in any way connected to this area or issue suddenly got healthy. Suddenly there was, there was clean air. There was, there was understanding. There was peace. There was communication. It's profoundly mysterious, but it's, it's, it's what John is laying out for us. And so make sure that you're walking in the light and don't deceive yourself because we can even harbor some darkness in areas even when we're studying the, God, the word of God, even when we're showing, even when you get an A on the paper. What's beautiful about this is that at the very end of uh, verse seven, John says, um, not only do we have fellowship with one another at that point, but the blood of Jesus' his son purifies us from all sin. And so this morning, if there is any darkness, if there is any, any area that you're harboring or if there's anything that you're holding on to, um, the blood of Jesus Christ can purify you from that. He also goes on to say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to um, purify, to forgive us and to purify us from those sins. And so, what an opportunity this morning to say, Lord, to confess, where have you not made the word of life, the word of life? Where is the word of life ceased being central? What idols have you allowed to kind of creep in? Um, I remember years ago, and one of the reasons why I get to stand here before you is because um, Lifeway, a publishing uh, publisher out of Nashville, asked me to write a Bible study. And I came back to them and I said, well, Here's kind of my life message. It's, it's false gods, and it's uh, not having any other, any other gods before you. It's really dealing with modern-day idolatry. And I said, so I don't know if that's going to be like a real crowd pleaser. You know, I don't know how popular of an idea that's going to be, but that's what I got. And, and so it was, a, it was a blessing to be able to kind of put that into um, a study and kind of share my journey but I do wanna just tell you that there has been no greater joy than when the word of life is the word of life in my life. And you know what, I don't make him that or not make them him that, he is, he is life, he is what he is. But when he is central in my life, that joy is restored, the fellowship is restored, and there's peace, and there's a great adventure, and it has surprised me beyond measure, and so I just wanna encourage you I want to encourage you, if there's any area where the word of life has ceased being central, would you repent of that? Would you confess that 
this morning and he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, to forgive me of my sin and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.